0: Well, good morning. My name is Matt, and I just want to add my welcome to Prashers. Uh, It's great to have you with us, whether you're joining us live online, whether you're watching us later, as some of you might be, uh, or even if you're dialing in over Zoom, it's great to have you listening in this morning. I thought I'd start by reflecting on that passage, uh, or in way of reflecting on that passage, by sharing a little bit of my own story about how I came to faith. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, which is probably a little bit of an an anomaly uh, these days, a unique perspective and a privilege, of course. And uh, it wasn't just Christian by name. My parents took us to church every single Sunday. Uh, But I also grew up in a really big public school. And so I had these two worlds going on in my life. Uh, I had this Sunday community, this Christian community. Uh, I also went to a Friday youth group, and I had youth group leaders who were Christian. On the other hand, I had my friends who didn't know Jesus. And my experience actually as an as a adolescent, uh, during high school, you know, those years where you're discovering, exploring, thinking about what life is all about, trying to figure out what's important to you, who you are, those kind of questions. My experience was I could, I could compare and contrast these two different worlds, these two different groups of people. And on the one hand, you know, my peers were people who were anxiously exploring they were looking for meaning trying to fill that void in their life you know through drugs through sex through relationships all sorts of different things they were anxiously exploring on the other hand I had this community that were full to overflowing with life and joy and meaning and purpose and hope and for me you know I could really see that and this life this Christian worldview was really attractive to me this fact that these people were content, they were internally satisfied. They were full. And, uh, and like I said, that was really attractive to me, and it was one of the reasons that I decided uh, to follow Jesus, that I became a Christian, that I came to faith myself. This story, as we look at this woman at this world, this story is about that. It's about a woman who is thirsty, but then over time she becomes full. And actually, at the end of the story, she's full to overflowing, isn't she, where she wants to just share what she has with other people. This story is about quenching a thirst, about filling an appetite, about finding value, meaning, life, purpose, significance. Uh, and so we're in this series uh, where we're looking at the Bible and we're looking at real lives in the Bible. And we're looking at people's stories where they came to faith. And so this morning, I want to explore this woman's life with you. I want to explore her story of coming to faith. There's some some wonderful things we can look at. And a number of questions I want to ask with you are these. Firstly, you know, what is she really looking for in life? What is she searching for? What is she actually thirsting for? The second thing I want us to think about is what does she find at the well? And then thirdly, how does she get this living water? And fourthly, how might we get it ourselves? Uh, So firstly, what is she looking for? What is she actually searching for? There's a few details in the text that point to this, that are really important, actually. Uh, The first is that she comes to to the well at midday, at noon. That's what the sixth hour means there. Uh, And she comes alone. Now, these details are really significant, and they, they point to something about her life. Most of the time, women would go to the well in the morning or the evening. They'd avoid the heat of the day. And they'd also go in groups, you know, whether it was for protection, to help one another, uh, or to socialise, they'd be together. But this woman goes to the well at midday alone. She's obviously avoiding the public eye. She's ashamed of something. She's hiding as she approaches the well. Why might she be doing that? Well, Jesus uh, comes across it in his conversation with her. We find out uh, they have a, st- uh, a conversation about water, and it turns into a metaphor, doesn't it? And Jesus says, I want to give you living water. And she says, I- I'd love some, give some to me. And then he says, well, go and get your husband. And it feels like this big conversational change, this big gear shift without much clutch, in the story and it kind of feels a little bit invasive, uh, a little bit intrusive and like, where's Jesus going? But actually, Jesus is attempting to give her the answer to her problem. He's attempting to give her living water and he's dealing directly with her problem by asking her to do this. Uh, Because as we find out, she's a woman who's had five husbands and the man she's currently with is not her husband. Uh, What's this getting at? What we're finding out actually is this woman has a a deep thirst for relationship, for satisfying, fulfilling, meaningful relationship in her life. Now, we don't know her situation exactly. You know, uh, why is she feeling this thirst, this longing? It could be because, like many of us might presume, she's a woman with a lot of immorality. She's a very promiscuous woman and husband can mean man and the fact could be that she's had five men in her life and now she's after another she's got another Uh, but also it could be that she's had five husbands and she's been divorced five times and a woman in her day and time uh, wouldn't have had much control over that situation or much choice in the matter and so it could be that she's been rejected five times uh, another possibility, of course, is that she's a widow. She's been widowed five times. You know, but whatever the case is, she's got this new man in her life. She's still searching. And whatever the case is, it's tragic. And she's feeling this deep thirst for meaningful, significant relationship uh, in her life. And there's this sense that she's deeply unsatisfied. Now, we might not be able to, of course, relate to her exact situation. It's very tragic, isn't it? But I think we can all relate to her desire, her thirst, her longing to be filled. Uh, and whether that's because we've had experiences in the past that have left us thirsty, or whether that's because we're still wanting. Um, you know, some of us are going through life waiting, aren't we? Where we think, if I just achieve this or that, then I'll find my sense of fulfillment, my sense of longing. Maybe it's a certain amount of cash in our lives, then I'll be full. Maybe it's the right home, you know, that home we all desire. Maybe it's the job, the particular job. Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's a dream or a certain amount of influence in the world. Then I'll, I'll find my sense of meaning. On the other hand, there's some of us who have lived long enough uh, and have had lots of experiences. And we've come across that crushing realization that none of these things are filling us up. None of these things are satisfying us. And I think it's actually really significant in this story that this woman's thirst is relational. Because it's actually pointing to our deepest thirst. And we all know this to be true. Our deepest thirst is relational. I think one of the reasons in the West, maybe in Australia in particular, uh, many of the world's many parts of the world are suffering with COVID-19. But a lot of us here are comfortably kind of riding it out. And we're doing that because our relationships are still intact, aren't they? Uh, We can get together over technology. It's not the same. But we've still got our relationships. But we know if everything in the world is right and our relationships are off, even just one relationship, we know we're unsatisfied. Uh, We're created for relationship, that's what the Bible says. Not necessarily a marriage like this woman's looking for, but we're created for friendship with one another. But most importantly and most significantly, we're created for relationship with God. And a relationship with him will ultimately satisfy us. Uh, Jim Carrey, the the actor, the comedian normally, uh, has this very serious comment on his own life He says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. How insightful. And on the other hand, another author, C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series, he points out, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we're made for another world. Perhaps a relationship with God is what will satisfy us. And so let's think about what this woman finds when she does come to the world. If that's what she's thirsting for, really, what does she find at the well? Well, of course, Jesus offers her, like Rocket reminded us, living water. Uh, And before it was a metaphor, it was a real thing. Living water sounds like an expression to us, but... It was a a real thing. It was a way of talking about water that's not stagnant. There's water in a well, there's water in dams, uh, but another place you can get water in life is from spring and springs in their day and their climate, you know, a very hot, dry climate. Springs were actually better sources of water. They were more reliable. They were always flowing. They were healthier to drink from. They were better tasting. In fact, they were better in every way. And Jesus picks up this metaphor uh, that has actually been used in the Old Testament many times before. The prophet Jeremiah, uh, in fact, talks about God as living water. And the point there is that God is refreshing, that God is satisfying, that God is life-giving, and that he alone is the better source of meaning, of value, of life, of love, of relationship. And in Jeremiah uh, 2, verse 13, uh, Jeremiah talks about the problem in the world that we have. And he says, uh, this is God speaking, he he says, my people have committed two sins. They've got two problems. One is they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And not only have they forsaken me, but they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now that's significant, when Jesus picks this up, he's saying, you know, we have one real problem and it's not just that we've forsaken God, we've forsaken him, but then we've gone about trying to find what he can give us and what only he can give us in other things. And then Jeremiah tells us, you know, he tells us, these wells are not good, they're broken and they're wells, they're stagnant water compared to god who is living water now that might raise a question for you and many people find this offensive the fact that jesus turns up and he says i'm the only one that can satisfy you i'm living water compared to everything else how can jesus say that how do we know jesus can be more satisfying than everything else well like jeremiah told us the other wells that we have in life are broken they're broken wells they don't satisfy us How can you tell if you haven't found living water yet? It's because your well doesn't work. One way to think about this question is, are the wells in your life satisfying? Are the wells in your life filling you up? Are the wells in your life working? You might be like, Matt, you've lost me. Uh, I haven't dug any cisterns lately. Um, Well, one American writer, actually a very famous American writer, award-winning, best-selling, who died uh, in 2008, was a man called David Foster Wallace. And he actually spoke to this issue. He wasn't a religious man, but he spoke to this issue uh, really concisely. And he was speaking, he wrote a speech to students graduating from college going out into the big real world, you know, getting out of the bubble of university. And I guess he was trying to prepare them for what was out there. And he said this about digging our own wells. He said, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not digging wells. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships, he says. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. He says, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when, the time, and when time and age start showing... You'll die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. He says, look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious, they're default settings. What's he saying there? He's saying we all worship whether we're conscious of it or not. We're all worshiping something. We're all looking for significance and love and connection in life. He says but if it's not in God that you find it then those other things will eat you alive. They're broken cisterns. What's Jesus say? Jesus says whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. Because Jesus is saying he is God, he is true and living water. He can satisfy you. I want you to just notice for a moment a little example of that, where we see that actually happening in this woman's life. Think about the interaction that they have. Jesus is like no other man that's ever dealt with this woman uh, in her life. Their interaction, Jesus had to break through so many barriers in order to have this interaction, in order to offer her living water. You might not notice it because they're kind of culturally unique to their time and place, but Jews and Samaritans ethnically were enemies. Religiously, they're separated. Jews thought of the Samaritans as heretics. That is, they didn't know anything about God, and so the Jews just completely separated themselves from them. In terms of their gender in their day men and women would not be talking she would have been considered incredibly insignificant to him and socially this is a little bit of a scandalous moment and so jesus breaks through all those barriers just to offer her living water and in fact you can imagine here's a woman who has probably spent her whole life rejecting god and replacing god with other things and here she encounters god and how does he treat her he says let me give you living water Tim Keller the American pastor and author wrote about this moment and he says Jesus is the only Savior who if you gain him will satisfy you and if you fail him will forgive you you notice how good Jesus is there notice how he's different every other well. And so thirdly, let's think about how this moment changes her. What does she get and how does she get it? She gets this living water, but how does she get it? She gets it through nothing less than an encounter with Jesus himself. That's what happens here. Let's think about this encounter maybe more closely than we have. On the one hand, this encounter is incredibly confronting to this woman, isn't it? It's incredibly confronting. Her sin is exposed. Her deepest, darkest secrets are exposed before Jesus. Her sin is, the fact that she's rejected God and replaced him with other things, is completely exposed to him. But this confronting moment is actually really important because it shows that Jesus is taking her life and her thirst seriously. He's not avoiding them. He's not trying to meet a need she doesn't have. He's trying to meet her true need. And this moment might be the hardest moment she's ever had, but it's also the most important moment. It's also a healing moment for her because she's seeing her life as it really is. She has an opportunity to be authentic, to be real about her life with someone. There's no more hiding for her. And so it's a confronting moment. But on the other hand, it's an incredibly gracious moment. Like I mentioned, Jesus overcomes all these barriers just to offer her this living water. But uh, I mentioned that it's a scandalous moment. You can imagine here's a woman who has been with many other men. And now she's alone again and she's searching and here's a man who's alone. And so Jesus embraces this kind of scandalous moment. He puts his reputation on the line for her, but he goes one step further. I want you to think about this. Who's really thirsting in this story? It's Jesus who's thirsty at the beginning, isn't it? It's him who asks for a drink. And actually, she goes away full at the expense of him being thirsty. He doesn't get a drink in this passage. In John's Gospel, this story is a sign to something more significant. Another moment where Jesus thirsts. Another moment that's not just for her, but for all of us. That's universal. It's for the whole world. Where does Jesus thirst? Later on in John's Gospel, he's on the cross and he says, I'm thirsty. And it's not because he's physically thirsty, although I'm sure he was. It's because he's spiritually thirsty. It's because in that moment on the cross, he's saying, I am experiencing the ultimate end of all of your thirsts. I'm taking on myself the, the consequence for you rejecting God and replacing him with other things. I'm experiencing the end of that for you, which is spiritual thirst, which is spiritual separation from the water of life. Jesus was spiritually separated from the water of life so that we might receive. God's living water. Jesus truly satisfies. Jesus really gives us meaning and hope and value and love because he is the living water that we all desire so much. Can I just make one point of application in closing as we reflect on this story? This woman tries to avoid this moment about three times in the text. And her last little excuse to get out of this confronting moment with Jesus is, I'm going to wait for the Messiah, the, the anointed one who will explain everything. I'll, I'm going to wait for him and then I'll make my decision. He'll explain everything to me. And I think a lot of us are like that. We think I'm going to put this decision off. I'm going to put off exploring who Jesus is, what, how I can truly be satisfied. I'll put it off until later in life. I'll wait for the experts to summarize it and, and then I'll, I'll figure it out. And Jesus turns to her and he says, I, the one who you are speaking to, am he. He says, now's the time because I've arrived. I am he. And what the truth is for us is that Jesus has come, the expert has come, and you and I can encounter him ourselves just like the woman did. And we can do that by reading the Bible by exploring it together. And so I wanna encourage you to join us on the Simply Christianity course, to read the Gospel of Luke together and encounter him, because maybe, just maybe, he truly satisfies. Maybe he's the answer that you're looking for. I'm gonna pray for us this morning, Uh, so let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can encounter you today in the Bible and by your spirit. And I asked this morning for my friends watching this live or later or listening, that they would encounter you, the truth about you, that you are living water, that you are eternal satisfaction. And may they know you as their savior.